With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Oh, one more beer for me. Exile means quality. So savagely. Best beer in all the land. Brewed with a loving hand. From bottle, keg, or can. Exile brewing. E-X-I-L-E. For me. E-X-I-L-E. Let's drink. Crack open a Zoltan today. Enjoy your exile. HN Podcast, Miller and Dace coming at you. Gosh, what is today, Steve? I don't even know anymore. So sometime in late November, or, or January, rather. Goodness gracious. Um, it is the uh, night of the AFC and NFC Championship games. There you go. Vikings fans, sorry. I was with you for a game. I, I don't think I can do that, so I'm back off the bandwagon. Real quick, Steve, this is totally not Iowa-related, but i got to ask you. Tom Brady, seven was it, is this seven straight AFC Championship games that he's led the Patriots to? Uh, what, eighth Super Bowl appearance? Are those numbers correct? Yeah, just to throw a couple of numbers that further put this in perspective. Brady's going to end up playing John in 15% of all Super Bowls. That's inc- freaking incredible. Indeed. Furthermore, his now, the percentage of seasons that Tom Brady's team has has made it to the AFC Championship game in his career exceeds the lifetime completion percentage of the quarterback he beat today, Blake Bortles. Dude, I mean, it's it's insane. It's insane. He's the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. Well, it's a harmonic convergence. We have the greatest quarterback and the greatest coach. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and you know, I'm not. Yeah, there's there's probably going to be debate the next couple of weeks over you know who's more important to me. I think they they need each other. I think you know when the ability of, of Brady to elevate his team when it matters most is what we've seen from the greats in our lifetimes, from the Montanas to Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning's, etc. And so I don't think he's, I think he's in the same class as those guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't think, I mean, his overall numbers, and I'm, I'm going to sound like I'm denigrating Tom Brady. He's the, he's the goat. Okay. But, but I think those guys are, were just as good as him. The difference is the excellence of the Patriots as an organization has given him more opportunities to show that has, I mean, what Belichick has been able to do, they literally change their offense and defense almost every week, year after year, depending on what they think the weaknesses are of your opposition. This is the first time, I, John, I think in the history of the NFL, we've had a dominant franchise that you can't think of the system they brought in that changed the NFL, right? Yeah, the sure. Steel curtain, the steel curtain defense. The West Coast offense yep. of the 49ers in the 80s. Uh, the, the Bears 46 defense. The zone blitz defense. 
you know, the, uh, you, what is there, what is there, what's, what's, what's their improvisation? What, what is, what is it, the it, change it, it, they it, made in the NFL? But, the, nothing, but the, what they, they make, they make, those are all big time schematic changes. But, I mean, they weren't as tight end centric in the early part of the Brady era. And then they had Randy Moss in the middle of the Tom Brady era. They've had and they changed. When they had Aaron Hernandez and Rob Gronkowski, they changed Exactly. To that. They changed to that. And it is, it is amazing, actually, what they've done. And I don't like them. I don't, you know, you watch the NFL far more than I do. But I, I certainly pay attention. Their, yeah. their, their defense is, I mean, they play a basic 3-4 defense, and it's, it's not the zone blitz defense that the Steelers played, and they, under Bill Cower, it's just a basic 3-4 defense that allows them, that's multiple. You know, they take the one out, if, if they think they need a fourth, a fourth guy in the line, if you're more of a power running team, they just, they adjust that way. If not, they adjust the other way. It is a testament that the preparation that that you see each week of Bill Belichick combined with the timing and poise of Tom Brady it's it's really unlike anything we've ever seen and I thought you made a point very good earlier today on social media and you know you and I grew up in the era of Joe Montana mhm but you know he had one season of Randy Moss Tom Brady did one season and they didn't win the Super Bowl that year by the way that was their undefeated team that lost to the Giants. Other than that, for the, throughout his career, he's not had a receiver that that was his main receiver in his career while he was with the Patriots as good as Dwight Clark was, let alone as good as Jerry Rice was. There's no John rush. Taylor. I mean, Rob Rob Gronkowski, Rob Gronkowski's obviously a Hall of Fame tight end like Russ Francis was, but there's no Roger Craig. You know, no. there, there is no time. Yeah. The cast, the cast is consistently changed all along, and I think that's what's been great. You know, you can name you know Hall of Fame linemen on those Forty Nine er teams or All Pro linemen like Bubba Paris can't do that on these forty on these on these Patriots teams. And I think the the constant there, you know, the one constant Ray has been Tom Brady, and the other constant has been Bill Belichick and. You know, I go back to the year Brady got hurt. They still went 11 and 5 that year with his backup. I've watched Bill Belichick in games with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback on one week's rest or notice as their third stringer. But he's also never and he and he had he was the last coach to really be a playoff threat with the Cleveland Browns. But he's never so so the, this guy is a great coach. At the same time, he's never really won anything meaningful. Unless Tom Brady's been his starting quarterback, and they happen to just bet on, you know, bet on black Wesley Snipes and get a guy with the 199th pick that just turned out to be the greatest draft pick in the history of the National Football League. But they just, they've really needed each other. They've played off each other so exceedingly well. And, you know, I know everybody's sick of it. Everybody's annoyed of it. I get it. But at the same time, remember it. Similar to what we've seen with Alabama in college football, we are never going to see anything like this ever again. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's safe to say for sure. All right, well, I hope we never see anything like what happened to Iowa against Purdue uh, on Saturday anytime 
ever again. I mean, first off, Purdue is a really good basketball team. They've won 15 consecutive games. They've been blowing the doors off everybody. They had a Big Ten record, uh, 23-point shots against Iowa. Uh, it was their third largest halftime lead ever in Big Ten play in the history of Purdue, which is a long time. Um, I, I tweeted out that I don't ever remember uh, a halftime deficit that bad for Iowa. I'm sure, though, it had happened at least once in the 100-plus years Iowa's been playing, and Tom Caker tweeted at me that it. I think they were down 48-16 to 16 or something like that at halftime against Ohio State in 2008 year, one of the Licklider era. And when I, looked, when I went and looked at the roster of that game, I don't even remember half those guys. Uh, it was horrible. It wasn't a roster, I think, as talented as the one Iowa has here. That, so that, that, that should have been a Greg Oden, Michael Conley, Ohio State, right? Probably in that range. Just on my couple of lottery picks right, right there. Right. Yeah. Um, Purdue plays, they play, if you love the game of basketball, they play a brand of basketball that is very fun to watch. They are a team that if they're hitting outside shots, you're just not going to beat them, given what they have on the inside with Haas and Edwards. Their spacing is as good as any team I've seen in the Big Ten in a long, long time. They're a great team, but still, dude, was it like 51 to 20 or something like that? It, it was it, it was unbelievable, um, the deficit that Iowa was in. And they were... Scott Dockerman tweeted something out to me. Let me see if I saved it. I mean, I, I want to get it right. See if I saved that anywhere. No, I didn't. But it was something like, I yeah, here it is. Iowa has trailed in each of their last seven Big Ten games at one point in that game by at least seventeen points. Their last. That's insane. Is that not crazy? That, that's. That's Northwestern pre-Bill Carmody. That's Rutgers up until this year. That's, that's horrific. That's dreadful. I mean, that's just absolutely dreadful. I don't know how else to put it. That's absolutely dreadful. And to me, this is the weakest year of Big Ten basketball. I'd go back to maybe 05, or am I thinking of 04? There was a year that Michigan and Iowa played in the Big Ten tournament. And there was some thought that maybe the winner of that game might make it in, and Michigan won, but neither team got in, and only four Big Ten teams got in. It was a terrible year. Um, it's the worst year since then. I think that's the year before Iowa should have won the Big Ten with Haluska and Horner and those guys. Yeah, a year or two before that. That was oh five oh six. So yeah, so we're going yeah. back almost. You know, we're going back well over a decade. Yeah, and I think Iowa made it in either the year before that or the year before that when Bob Bolsey was on the selection committee and they played. Right. And Iowa shouldn't even have made it in. But that's horrible. I mean, seventeen points in their last trail by seventeen or more in their last seventeen Big Ten games. Their one win, they trailed by 20. It's the third time in school history they've come back from a 20 or more point deficit ever. So that, I mean, that game is kind of like fool's gold a little bit. And it was against a team that still doesn't have a win in Big Ten play, I believe, in Illinois. So uh, we don't need to break down the game. You know, we don't necessarily need to continue to sit here and say that this team doesn't play for each other. And I tweeted out the whole is less than the sum of the parts for this team. This team, there's a schism. I can't say exactly what it is. I've heard, you know, rumors all, maybe since October and Christian Williams left, that, you know, maybe Fran 
had said something along the lines that you're number three at point guard. Connor's number two. Connor played a lot of minutes in Europe when most people thought Connor would be playing baseball this year. And frankly, I don't think he's a Big Ten point guard anyway. But I can't confirm any of that. But I've heard it from a number of enough places to where I'm comfortable even bringing it up because I think things like that are going to come about at some point in time. Regardless, there this last week, Steve, I've been bombarded with people. Fire Fran McCaffrey. Time to go. He's got to go, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I wrote something this week just maybe to help myself contextually. You and I on the fly last week, I said I thought I was probably the eighth or ninth best Big Ten job in the country as related to people. You know, and their angst against Fran. And really, in my opinion, this is the first, this is the first bad year of the McCaffrey era. The first year where I don't believe the brand either advanced, uh, by great steps or small steps. I'm not saying even some of the years that I think were successful years for the brand as it was trying to build back up from the Licklider malaise. Um, there were late season collapses in that, but still, it was better than the year before. This is the first year that's not going to happen. So, I can give a guy one bad year, especially when I look at Iowa and believe it's the eighth or ninth job. So, I went in three categories. Over the last decade, I ranked each Big Ten team from what I think is the strength of their home court advantage, and that obviously includes the fan support, uh, recruiting, and recent success. And I gave each team a 1 through 14 ranking, so the fewer points means you have the better program. And interesting enough, and I did not reverse engineer this, I promise you, Iowa landed ninth on my rankings. I had an 11th for home court advantage, ninth in recruiting, and 8th in recent success. And that's why I'm not of the camp to fire a guy that's had one bad year. Heck, I wouldn't even have been in the camp to fire a guy with one bad year if they were, you know, fourth for that matter. So I am not in the camp to fire Fran McCaffrey after Fran McCaffrey after the season unless there is cause, and I don't believe there's cause, and I'm speaking contractually now, um, like you know some type of malfeasance. So I'm not in that camp. What What is your opinion? You, you, you're not an Iowa fan. You don't have an emotional dog in this fight. Um, lay it on me if you think I'm not being objective here. What do you think? In general. Unless we're talking about a, a situation involving a legality, um, morality, a Penn State situation, Baylor, what's going on at Michigan State right now. Beyond that, I think in general, each individual team's fan base gets to determine what they're willing to put up with and doesn't need outsiders chiming in i used to get annoyed you know uh izzo did this with tommy amaker then he did it with steve alford and there used to be this annual mid to late february routine with tom izzo after he'd have his team come in and they'd bludgeon whichever coach was considered on the hot seat he then would tell the local media boy they're getting a real raw deal as almost if to to lobby to keep the coach whose ass he's kicking remember we used to talk about that okay yeah that was kind of Tom Izzo's annual act. Um, and I, I just don't think you need outsiders unless there's something going on 
be that's the human condition beyond just performance on the court or on the field. I don't think outsiders should chime in. That's my specific thought. In general, though, here's how I approach it as a fan. If of my teams that I'm that I that I have a personal interest in, unless you are digging out from a cratering, Jim Schwartz taking over the 0-16 Detroit Lions, for example. Rick Pitino taking over the NCAA devastated Kentucky program uh, in the in, in the late eighties. Unless you're taking over a cratering, I would I would say what Todd Licklider did to Iowa basketball would qualify as a cratering. Unless you're taking over a cratering in this age, you should never be permitted to go three straight years without making an NCAA tournament. Period. Where I'd say three straight years without a bowl game. That's a baseline expectation. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think that applies to Fran now because he's already overcome that program. He's beyond that now. This is now entirely his program. He has established his own baseline. Sure, yeah. So, we're, you know, we're, we're not blaming Licklider any more than we're, you know, uh, at this point blaming Dr. Tom. And that's a separate conversation. I was just breaking into Sports Talk Radio as that debate was coming to a head about what to do with him. And people were tired of first round, you know, and getting there and never getting, you know, to the final four and can the program reach the next level, et cetera. Um, and that's always the most dangerous hire to make. The most dangerous gamble you can make as an athletic director or a general manager is the idea of this guy got us to a certain baseline. Can he get us? Can he, can he get us to the next level? That hire is either flames out spectacularly uh, and gets everybody fired um, in the chain of command, or it works out spectacularly. It's never just okay, and most often it doesn't work out. Um, And but when it does, it usually works out terrifically. You came to that head with Tom Davis. My own opinion, if I was if I was doing daily sports talk radio, on, you know, back in on KXNO again, mm-hmm. I would I would my guess is you're you're getting you may not be at that point with Fran McCaffrey, you're approaching it like I used to talk about. There's teams on the bubble and then teams on the spittle, you know, on the brink of being on the bubble. I think we're on the spittle, um, based on what I can see, and I think next year. Will be a t- will be a telltale heart, but again, that's that's my analysis of what I see from the outside. I'm hesitant to give a an individual perspective because I'm not as emotionally invested in it or financially as the average person listening to us who's a diehard fan. And ultimately, if they're happy with his performance, nothing immoral or illegal is going on. No sweat off my back. If that's what you guys want, cool. If not, then you know that's your call too. I mean, okay, before this season began, Iowa's last three seasons, they finished third, third in the Big Ten, and then they lose Gasell, Woodbury, Utah, and Clemens. Last year, a total rebuilding year, and they finished fifth in the Big Ten. Third, third, and fifth. And we have people this year, a decent faction, that are wanting to see him gone. And I'm sorry, that is, I, I, I just can't see that. I can't get there with that, especially at a Big Ten program 
that, listen, I remember the 80s. I grew up in the 80s. I began watching, from what I can remember, Iowa basketball and their final four run in 1980. So I, I saw the majority of the golden era of basketball from about 1979 to 1988, where Iowa averaged a Big Ten finish of Three and a half out of ten at that point in time. All right, that was the pinnacle, or at least of my lifetime. Yeah, Ralph Miller in 1970, which was Iowa's last outright Big Ten championship, by the way. 1970, they went 14 and 0. Um, Luke tied for a Big Ten championship one time. This is Iowa's had amazing fan support by and large over all that time, finishing as far you know top 20 of. You know, attendance, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, Tom Davis's 1986-1987 Iowa team finished third in the Big Ten. So I can't get there, Steve. I can't get there this year. I just don't see. I understand people being upset and emotional and disappointed. I get all those things. But to outright fire the guy after this season, I just can't get there. Do you, th- do you think I'm wrong on the historical, well, you know, my, my my analysis of Iowa being, you know, the ninth best program based in the last 10 years? Do I think you're wrong? No. I mean, because you're not, you're not giving me your opinion. That's data. Data, you know, facts and statistics aren't biased. They're not bigotry. They're not hateful. They're just facts and statistics. I mean, you're just giving me data. The opinion comes in in how you react to that. And if you're your age or older, more than likely you are reacting the way you are right now. If you're younger, your reaction is, why the hell do we put up with mediocrity for this long? And I don't believe any answer is right or any answer is wrong. I think it's entirely a matter of perspective. You seem, and I don't mean to say this in a derogatory way, you seem to have uh, to to have come to grips with what you believe is the is the water that can find its level with your favorite team. Mm-hmm. Chances are, but but you also remember an era when you went to games for ten bucks and. Your mom worked there. Mm-hmm. All, all right. that stuff, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, dude, you can't buy a fidget spinner with a Tiger Hawk on it for ten bucks, brah. Okay. And if I grew up in the era of the now, if I grew up in the well, the only era I've known is instant. You know, all all the websites and everything that where people are making a living talking Hawkeyes and sports talk radio and. What tickets cost? I watched Bo Ryan in Wisconsin, whose demographics aren't any better than ours, become the powerhouse program in the Big Ten Conference for more than a decade. My perspective is going to be different than the one you bring to the table. You know, as we were sitting here talking, I was looking at NCAA tournament basketball history because really that's the standard now. Regular season success is fine and great. If you win conference titles, that's great. But really, it's about the NCAA tournament. The entire college basketball has, right now, in all of major sports, the greatest postseason and the most meaningless regular season. And you look at a program like Illinois, and that's a program that has been very star-crossed 
for the better part of a decade now. Can't retain a coach, etc. You go back to 1989. Since 89, the Flying Illini team. If I take away the one year that Bill Self left them, a, you know, a, a minor league NBA All-Star team right. for Bruce Weber to take over. That was the 2005 team that was one basket away from winning a national championship. Right. I take that team off the table, and since and and and, and since the eighty nine since the since, really since nineteen ninety because since we're not going back it's been since ninety nine eighty nine since nineteen ninety Illinois won fifteen NCAA tournament games. Iowa's won ten, and that's taking that great season of Illinois off the table. Mm-hmm. Converse by and, and furthermore, Iowa State since that time has fifteen NCAA tournament wins. And that's where if I'm if I'm an Iowa fan, I'm I'm looking at the coaching turnover they've had at Iowa State, and I'm wondering how they've managed to win win. That's a pretty big number of NCAA right. tournament games, guys. You know, so I, I'm I'm asking myself, how is that possible? The question I'm also asking myself is, you know, Fran McCaffrey may be your Tommy Amaker, and what I mean by that is. A coach that could get you to a certain level of respectability after the program had cratered. I don't understand why he's been unable, even though he comes from a part of the country where they are literally, literally people go to a restroom and flush a point guard down the damn toilet. I mean, we're going to be watching championship week here soon, only in eight weeks. And we're going to see all kinds of point guards at all these mid-major and, and and low major schools starring in championship week we've never heard of and you can I cannot believe Iowa could not get one of those guys mm-hmm. I, I I don't understand that and that's a conversation you and I have had for years yeah I'm going I mean how is this not possible um and and it may turn out that he's the guy that could get could recover the program to respectability so then you can go hire your John Beeline. It could also be, and what I hear you saying is, this is about as good as it gets for Iowa basketball, so just accept that. I mean, we don't, we don't, we don't do much better than this when I look at it historically. And I think that's easy to say when you're in your life situation. Not easy to accept when I live locally and my season ticket form is in the mail again. Mm-hmm. And and I've got to start making some decisions about how many more times do I want to risk my life on I-80 at mid, coming home at midnight in the middle of January, if you know what I'm saying. Okay? I, and I think that's really what it's about. It's, it's a matter of perspective, a matter of what your level of expectation is. And I don't have a good answer for Iowa fans who ask. Why can Wisconsin do it and we cannot? I don't know the answer mm-hmm, to that question. Mm-hmm. The black and gold unites us all, but then what? Kevin the Flag Guy from Heartland Flags here. If you're listening to this podcast, you bleed black and gold. But what comes after the Hawks? For me, it's the Cincinnati Reds and Cincinnati Bengals. Nope, can't explain it. What about you? Packers and Wizards? Pelicans and Sharks? NASCAR and the Jags? Bulls, Bucks, and Chargers? Whatever flag you want, we've got it. Jump online to heartlandflags.com and shop our huge inventory of sports teams' flags. You won't find a better selection or better prices anywhere. Guaranteed. And to top it off, free shipping on all purchases at heartlandflags.com. Oh, and that Iowa flag you've been flying since the Hawks last went to the Orange Bowl? 
time to step up and freshen up with a new design. Check out our Hawkeye selection when you're shopping for your other favorite team flags at HartmanFlags.com, where you'll never pay for shipping. I'm glad you circled back around to that because that is something that gets brought up a lot, both in football and in men's basketball. And, yes, similar similar demographics, even though Wisconsin has a lot more people in it. Um, so you're talking about, you know, likely, just statistically speaking, more FBS, you know, Power 5 caliber players would come from that state than Iowa. But still, when it happens in one sport, okay. But when it happens in two, it starts to make you wonder. And there's a common denominator there. It's Barry Alvarez as the athletic director. Barry Alvarez is somebody who, um, he's shrewd. He knows what he wants. You know, did he get lucky with Bo Ryan? I don't know. Uh, is Greg Gard, is Wisconsin more likely to continue at the level they were at or fall off? Well, it's clearly fall off. Is Greg Gard going to be that guy that it falls apart with? Maybe. But it hadn't happened in Wisconsin football. Barry retired. Brett Bielema took over. They won. Brett moved on to Arkansas. Anderson came in. They were successful, and they changed to a 3-4 defense, and they've been one of the best defenses in the country since that change, almost overnight. And then Anderson left, and Paul Christ, the native son, comes home, and they've gone even higher. I, I, I don't know how much of it has to do with Barry and his vision, his desire. Uh, you know, I, I think Gary Barta is a fantastic fundraiser. I think he's very good as being a CEO, but I don't know how good he is at being a PT Barnum. I think there were things that Bob Bullsby had uh, that are similar to what Barry had, uh, and I think there's things that Barry has that that Gary doesn't have. And I think it's easier to go find a CFO than it is to find a PT Barnum. And I think maybe that's what Iowa is lacking. I'm not saying that's the reason. I'm just saying I do wonder about that when you try to pinpoint answers of why can Wisconsin do it and Iowa can't. And maybe they got, maybe they just got lucky with, I don't know, but luck typically runs out over 15 to 20 year stretches. Luck usually doesn't last that long. I don't know. Uh, well, then it, it, it wasn't luck. It's, it's the program Bo Ryan built. And but look what, what it was before is, him. Bennett was there. And what was it before him is prior to a completely lucky run, I mean one in a million run, as an eighth seed to get to the Final Four in the year 2000. Prior to that, Which I Wisconsin, had, Wisconsin had five total NCAA tournament wins ever. Ever. Which means they nearly equaled their school history of total NCAA yeah, tournament, tournament wins in one tournament. Then you hire Bo Ryan. And what happens is they were the best program in this conference, Michigan State included, except uh, until and, and then at the very end. You know, now we see, we find, we figured out what happened now. You know, why did he quit all of a sudden and everything else? Well, he was having an affair and everything else. And, and now you're seeing recruiting dropped off. The senior class that uh, the, that Bo Ryan, the junior and senior class, Bo Ryan left him. There's a huge drop off, and you can see Greg Gard can't recruit, 
And it looks to me like they're about to, we're about to see water somewhat return to its level. Right. But the one thing that helped Wisconsin, Dick Bennett, gimmick, that slow down, crush you offense. Iowa tried that with Todd Licklider, didn't work for them. Then you, then they went to the, the, the swing offense that was that, that Bo Ryan brought to the league. And that, that revolutionized their brand again. What I see with Iowa is, is I don't, to me, I think you need a niche. Tom Davis brought a niche. And when George Raveling recruited an NBA farm team for him, with those athletes to get up and down the court, the window was there that first year. And really the next couple of years. And they just couldn't squeeze through it. And that, that's been your constant lament about comparing Iowa to Wisconsin. Is Iowa's had its window, its window openings. Um, and just has never really been able. Never sees the day. <laughs> never really seems like that. Or when they do open the, and they did open the window in 2015, they go 12 and 0. And then you have that heartbreaking loss to Michigan State, okay? Whereas Wisconsin seemingly, and then you follow that up with getting destroyed in the Rose Bowl. Well, look what happened to Wisconsin. They go 12-0, and heartbreaking loss to Ohio State. They go down to Miami in a road game in the Orange Bowl, okay? And so this is, I get the lament. I totally get it. I totally understand it. And I think the dangerous spot for, for, for Hawkeye Nation is, Wisconsin has proven to you, you are one coach away from doing what, what they have done. But the danger of hunting that coach, as you and I have pointed out before, when we've talked about how many big-time programs have had major coaching turnover and what that's done to, to their brand as a school. <clears throat> well, the danger is, the good news is you know you're one coach away from doing something Wisconsin's been able to do. The bad news, though, is Ahab doesn't often catch his white whale. And searching for that guy, you can blow things up. And what I hear you saying is, hey, I'd like us to win more. I've been a Hawkeye fan. I'm 46 years old. I've been a Hawkeye fan longer than a lot of people listening to this podcast have been alive. But <clears throat> I've also seen... With Nebraska uh, re- try to reinvent itself with Bill Callahan and Michigan try to reinvent itself with Rich Rodriguez and go right on down the line and you've seen how that's worked out, right? And I, what I hear you saying is, you know, the grass ain't always greener, Irma Bombeck, on the other side of the septic tank. And sometimes you can nuke yourself while trying to give yourself that extra, that extra vat of rocket fuel, um, that, that you're looking for. And I, I understand that as well. That's why I don't think there's a right answer or a wrong answer here. I've lived it. I mean, the next level was a term that, hell, I damn near coined it as as it applied to the Iowa basketball program. My very first year doing this, you know, quote-unquote professionally, someone paying me to do it in 1998 and 1999. I had enough of the Tom Davis era. I had enough of, oh, you know, he's never lost a first-round game. You know, you never lost a first-round game when we get there more than we don't. I wanted more. I was also in my late 20s when you don't necessarily ha- don't you don't know what you don't know. Because, honestly, Steve, you know, you talked about George Ravley and the NBA farm team that he gave Tom Davis, and he did. And the best finish Iowa had in that era was third. 
and that 86-87 team is still one of the best college basketball teams I've seen, certainly the best Iowa team I've seen. And they should have gone to the Final Four that year, but they didn't. And I loved that gimmick. I loved that full-court press. I loved the up-tempo style of basketball. It feels to me like a birthright because it's what I was reared on and raised on. You know, Lutz teams were just a lot more – they got down and, and dirty. But since Roy Marble, B.J. Armstrong, and Ed Horton exhausted their eligibility in the 88-89 season – I think it was a was it like a 102 to 96 loss to North Carolina State or something like that in the tournament second round. Tom Davis for the last 10 years of his 13 year Iowa career was maybe two or three games over 500 in conference play. Two or three games over 500 in conference play for 10 years, and Iowa hasn't been that good since. So we're, I mean 1990 is gosh what is that now 28 years ago. So this has been 28 years. He made it to a Sweet 16 his last year. But we're talking, you know, the last time Iowa made, you know, it's been one Sweet 16 in 30 years. I'm sorry. I'm I'm not going to sit here and, and say next level time when the last time I did that. Yeah, they went to the next level, all right. I mean, Steve Alford was there for seven, eight years. And they made it to three NCAA tournaments. And, and one of those tournaments they made it in because they, they won four games in four days at the Big Ten tournament as a six seed. They wouldn't have gotten in otherwise. Another time they got in, we already mentioned, Bob Bowles, who was the AD, or the uh, chairman of the NCAA selection committee, and everybody felt like that was a, a scam job. And then the 05-06 team was actually really, really good. So one really good team in the Alford era. One immense disappointment in 02-03. Um, and or oh one oh two I I can't remember now. And then you had Licklider, and now you've had Fran, and actually Fran has brought back more consistency I think than we saw in the Alford era. Mm-hmm. So sorry, been there, done that, made the Kool Aid. I and I'm not saying you just keep Fran, you you resign to your fate. I'm just saying that I think that there is a bit of a glass ceiling. And that doesn't mean that Iowa should not be able to recruit point guards at the Siena level. And that doesn't mean that I think what they're doing now, we just need to accept that that is what it is. There are many things that Fran can and has to get better at, or he'll be gone. Because somebody else can probably come in and go to, you know, two NCAA tournaments or three NCAA tournaments in five, six years. As you mentioned, I think that's a good baseline. But I just wonder what the sustainability is. At Iowa. I mean, Carver Hawkeye Arena is not a great arena. There's no middle mezzanine section. You get there, you have to walk down. And when you get old, and we'll be there in 15 years, it's tough to walk down there. It's tough to walk down those stairs. Oh, I know. The the amenities are not all that great. Um, It was, you know, it was great when it opened because it was new. But it's 35 years old. And I remember, I remember the, the uh, buttons going around town when they were raising funds for that sucker. I'm feeling old. But you're not going to have a better home court environment than Michigan State. Or certainly not Maryland now that they're in the league. Wisconsin's got it rolling. We'll see if they fall back. Michigan's is pretty good. Indiana's is phenomenal. More often than not, even when they're rebuilding. Michigan, Michigan had four. It's tradition and fan base and demographics. The worst arena in the Big Ten until three years ago. They spent 
huge. I mean, it wasn't worse than Welsh Ryan, but I mean, for their stand by right. uh, by the standing they have, it was the worst per capita arena in the league. Now they spent huge money renovating that. You can do the same thing to Carver Hawkeye Arena. They can do the same thing. You can't put a you can't put a mezzanine level in the middle of that. You can't, but there's other things you can do yeah. to dress it up a little bit if you want. I think I think here's what I think. Um, pardon me. I, I think there's an X factor here, and it's Fran's persona. And and I think when you have a unique persona as a coach like he does, things either accelerate or decelerate rather quickly. And momentum snowballs either way. And I think that if the team rebounds next year, I think with his persona, you will see them really rebound. If they don't, I think his persona will become beyond grading to most fans and it will the atmosphere around the program will cause it to decelerate all the more and it will probably get increasingly ugly as we get to the end of next season mm-hmm. and i just think that that that's what happens when you have somebody whose persona is just not typical of what people are used to seeing it, mm-hmm. and and i don't know which way it will go and and at the slightest the slightest hint the team is rebounding you'll see people rally around their fiery coach the slightest hint that it's oh no we suck again i'm sick of this douchebag yelling at the scorekeeper no and everything doubt. else that's exactly no right. wonder the team sucks and and it will decelerate or accelerate all the more than it typically would with a coach that had, you know, a more typical persona. And I think that makes this a more difficult situation for Gary Barta. Because, you know, the job of an athletic director is to be able to anticipate things before it gets to that point. And I've just never viewed him as any kind of a strong leader. Frankly, with all the things that have gone on in Iowa, I'm surprised he's still the AD. I'm surprised he has survived this long. And... Then that makes you almost wonder: Does anybody above him in the administration like actually even care? But I'll, def- yeah, I mean, I know you've had a lot of turnover there, so I'll, I'll defer all that, you know, to you know your native son perspective. Right. But um, it's rare that you get a chance to hire three basketball coaches, you know. So yeah. we'll see how that goes. But the best thing to do is, I, I don't understand how Fred Hoiberg can have no coaching experience at all and and build an entire Iowa State program off of transfers. And Fran McCaffrey can't find one damn point guard. I don't understand that, John. I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't either. And I'll end it with this. If Iowa... We've, we've, we've got to see how this plays out this year. I mean, meaning, like, let's see what the roster looks like in May. Um... And if can I, can I, you know what? That's a key point I think our, that our listeners need to understand. What do you mean? Look at what we have coming back. Basketball is not like football. This could be a dramatically different roster, yay or nay, a year from now. All right? I mean, a program as lofty as Kansas has been sitting around all year waiting for a freshman who this week decided to go play in a foreign country. Okay? 
and so much is up up for grabs with one and dones, transfers, everything else. We cannot just simply sit here. For those of you that are like John, well, we look at who's coming back. Fire him now. You can't just sit here right now. Look at returning starters for Iowa, and assume that's who starts practice next next September. No doubt. Basketball doesn't work that way anymore. That's another. So that's more in the camp of that maybe contradicts the argument I was giving about Barta. You know, your job as the AD is to anticipate things before they get to this point. On the other hand, you don't know right now what kind of roster he's going to come to the table with next season. You don't know. You know. You hope that they pick up a grad transfer point guard or a Jukoi point guard or, or some, I mean, my gosh, something. But you also hope Tyler Cook's still there. Um, you hope a number of guys are still there that you'd like to be there. Although, I, I mean, Ryan Creener just picked up his second concussion in the span of uh, 45 days playing basketball. So who knows even about that? I thought he was a risk to transfer anyway just because of minutes. Jack Nungy's disappeared, and I think that guy's got as much talent on the team, raw talent, as anybody. So who knows? But if, if Iowa has a, a year next year where they don't make it to the NCAA tournament, not even like another disappointing year or another hor- you know, bad year. This, this is a horrible year. But even if they don't make the NCAA tournament, that's three years in a row. After they'd made it for three in a row and then had a, a you know one rebuild and I think at that point in time a year from now we're having my opinion's totally different but I'm willing to give the guy a mulligan considering how I view the historical relevance of the program and that's gonna not sit well with some of you and that's okay but that's how I see it. All right. Well, and people wonder why is three the number three for me? I'll tell you why the number three is key for me. Is when you're talking about recruits, a lot of times the major inroads you make with a kid, unless he's a late bloomer, um, are going to happen by the end of his junior year in high school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with today's short term frame of reference, if you're talking about you've never played, made an NCAA tournament during a kid's entire high school career up until that point, I think that's obviously very debilitating towards recruiting that's one of the main and and then you have the the attention span of fans at the exact same time yeah so that's why that number is key to me and and, and next november is a litmus test day for me and it may happen before then but next november's signing period there's a kid in burlington dj carton four-star point guard just the kind of player iowa needs uh wisconsin's in on him dean oliver's recruiting him they offered him before iowa did I think his Carton's grandfather played basketball for Iowa, if I'm not mistaken. If they can't get him, that's that's more trouble. That's another point guard in your backyard. But he's swimming in some pretty deep waters, so we'll see. All right, that'll do it for this installment of the HN Podcast. Hope you were uplifted by that. Steve and I will talk to you next week.